This week on Inside the Ropes, Australia crowns a major champion. They're set to go in Tokyo and why European golf is where it's at. It's that time of the week. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe now through your favourite podcast app. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 217 of Inside the Ropes in a history-making week for Australian golf. Rod Murray's my name, filling in for Golf Australia Media Manager Martin Blake for the next fortnight as he fulfills duties in Tokyo. No shortage of golf to talk about, as always, including our first update from on-site at the Kasumigaseki Country Club, where the men's Olympic competition tees off this Thursday. We'll chat to the team on the ground shortly, but first, it's a welcome to my co-host for these next two weeks, Mike Clayton. Clayton, you've uh, graciously agreed to be part of the show while Martin Blake's away. Always good to catch up with you. Uh, my pleasure, Rod. Now, you and I might do a bit of a wrap-up of Australians from around the world a bit later, but let's be honest, there's one story dominating golf coverage in this country this week, and that is exactly as it should be. Western Australia's Minji Lee has been one of Australia's best and most promising players for the best part of a decade. This past weekend, she delivered big on that promise with a maiden major title at the Evian Championship in France. One person who's watched that journey unfold from close quarters is WPGA CEO Karen Lunn. She joins us on the digital line now. Karen, welcome. Just perhaps some initial personal thoughts as someone who no doubt knows Minji pretty well. Yeah, just so excited for her. I think um, this win's been coming for a while um, and I think that she it was starting to maybe get her a little bit frustrated. People were sort of talking about her as the best woman player not to have won a major and I think that sort of stuff can get in your head. So I'm um, just really over, over the moon for Minji. Um, she's worked really hard for this. She hasn't had a fantastic year so far. We know that, but um, that's all forgotten now. She's got that major in her back pocket and uh, it, there could be no stopping her now. Well, you've touched on a couple of things that I wanted to raise, and this is the first one. We ordain players so often, don't we? He'll win a major, she'll win a major, she'll win multiple majors. We do it all the time. The reality is there's not that many of them, and they're not easy to win, are they, Karen? Oh, absolutely not. Um, And I think this was maybe Minji's 36th or 37th start in a major. You know, just to win any golf tournament, I know we've Mm. spoken about it before, but, you know, to win any golf tournament is so hard. You're starting against, you know, 144, 156 players, 126, how many ever it is at Evian this week. But, um, you know, they're the best players in the world and and you can bring every part of your game with you and play your best golf and it still might not be good enough. Someone else might be better. I mean, people are shooting some crazy scores and, and the quality of the golf is just incredible. So, yeah, it's it's hard to win any tournament, but as you said, the majors even more difficult. Is it harder, Kaz, to win a major where two players over the course of the week shoot 61, so the scoring's crazy low, or is it harder to win the major where over par is likely to win like we sometimes see at the US Women's Open? Is one more difficult than the other, or is it just perhaps two different styles of player that are suited by those? I think it's definitely two different styles of play. I think that... Um, I think Evian probably plays more like your average LPGA tournament. I mean, it's not the longest course in the world. Um, and I think the changes that they made there a few years ago have actually made the course easier. The greens aren't as severe as they as they once were when I played there many times. And, and I tell you, they'd give you nightmares. But um, I think, you know, Evian sets up more like a regular LPGA event, whereas sometimes the other majors can set up, you know, really, really difficult. And usually it's the person with the best short game that, that wins. Indeed. Yes, it's like they took an LPGA course and put it on the side of a hill, isn't it? Just, put, just tilted it about. 30 degrees and that's kind of what you're playing is there a flat lie anywhere at that Evian LeBain golf course uh, maybe on the 
third hole, you might get a flat lie. That's, yeah. that's pretty much it. The rest of it is on the side of a hill, as you say. And um, like I said, these girls are hitting it so far these days. It wasn't the longest course in the world. It obviously gives up a lot of birdies, but there's still a lot of trouble you can get into there. It's not it's not a straightforward golf course. So, uh, yeah, there's, there was some awesome golf played last week by, by many people. Yeah, indeed. Clayton Minji Lee, I think you had the proposition put – in fairness, I don't think players like yourself and Karen – ordain the players as much as we do in the media is, oh, they'll win majors and they'll win majors because you've got a better idea of what it takes to win them. But we were guilty of it just this past couple of weeks, I think, on this very show, the expectation on Minji Lee. You've been up close on the tour with players who've had this. What's that like for that player? And what happens now for Minji next time she walks on the range? What changes for her? Well, I think they've been, Kaz, I think I'm right in saying 11. The last 11 women's majors have been won by 11 different players. Yeah, so, that's right. So it really comes down to who's playing well on the week, who has a good week. I mean, the thing that was interesting to me, Beth Ann Nichols wrote a column a few months ago lamenting the fact that no women had ever shot 59 and the courses were set up to be too difficult, which I thought was a preposterous argument given that a long way under par wins most weeks on the LPJ Tour. If you extrapolate that argument out, then... Two women shot 61 this week. Does that mean the men's courses are set up too hard for majors because men haven't shot two sixty ones in majors yet? So it's such a silly argument to kind of equate the worth of a tournament and, and the worth of a course and how, how the game should be set up just with the scores that are shot. Because it's, you know, to me, a major championship should be, the course should be more difficult than something that gives up two sixty ones in a week and, you know, miles under par wins the tournament. And I think it's a, you know, we've had this discussion a lot, Rod, but it'll be one of the best tournaments in the world played at Chantilly in Paris. <laughs> Can I just apologise in advance for Clates Kaz? I meant to do that before we started, <laughs> but you, you know he's opinionated. But in fairness, we've seen the women's PGA in America elevated greatly its status in recent years by going to the most revered courses in America. We've seen something similar with the women's British Open. The knock on the Evian Championship, I guess, has been, since it became a major, that perhaps the course isn't up to that task. Does it need to be? Does Clint's make a point or does it not matter? Oh, no, I think it does matter. I think I think major championships are held in such high regard. I do think that they should be held on some of the greatest tests of golf that we have. And, you know, money talks in this game. We know that. Um, obviously, the, the prize money at Evian in the women's game is, is uh, I think, the second biggest purse in, in the history of women's golf, you know. And and effectively, uh, Frank Ribot and his team bought a major championship. And, and whether that's right or wrong, I think it's, in a way, it's been great for the women's game because it's also... Um, encouraged other sponsors to, to put their purses up and, and create some competition in that top level. Obviously, now we've got some big events, the KPMG, US Women's Open, but um, whether or not it deserves major status, that's a whole other argument. Um, like I said, I played the Evian champion. Well, it was the Evian Masters for many years, um, you know, and there was talk that they really wanted to have the Solheim Cup there. And, and to be really honest, it, it, I don't think it's up to having the Solheim Cup for many reasons. Um, partly the infrastructure there just wouldn't lend itself to an event of that stature now. But, you know, it's, it's a nice golf course. It's a good test of golf. Um, there's no doubt about that. But, but the, the, the distances the girls are hitting it now, it, it, it probably has become a little bit a pitch and putt course. And I think that they did push some tees up on the weekend too. Obviously, there was some bad weather forecast and they were maybe a little bit concerned about the pace of play. So, um, but, but I would agree. I think that the major championship should be played on the greatest tests of golf. 
Clates, we, uh, clearly we understand what you probably weren't perhaps impressed with. What were you impressed with? And some thoughts on Minji Lee, because you, like the rest of us, would have been watching her as an Australian. You can't help but take a bit more interest in the Australian players on the world stage. She's an extraordinarily solid golfer, and we don't get to see this often. The polar opposite of her brother, Min Woo, in almost every way, both on and off the course, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, like charisma is a, it's a much overused word, but it'll be, and I don't want this, I don't want to sound critical of Minji, but you couldn't find two polar opposites in terms of charisma, her brother versus Minji herself. I mean, Minji's very quiet, I think more shy than anything else mm. and shuns the spotlight, doesn't delight in talking to the media at all, just goes and does her thing in her own way and is just a very quiet, shy kid. And her brother is unbelievably engaging, charismatic, fun to watch mm. and just completely different. Which is fine. I mean, you know, it's not to be critical of either of them. It's just the contrast between the two is incredibly stark in terms of how they react to pro golf, to pro golf and how they handle it. Yeah, ben Hogan wasn't exactly a people person, as we understand it either. So there's more than one way yeah, to get it. Yeah, done, and, 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 and the games always thrived on the not that they're playing against each other, but the clash of personalities. You know, Faldo and Greg and Palmer and Nicholas and uh, Hogan and Sneed and. Tiger and Mickelson, you know, they've always been stark contrasts between great players. It's just interesting to see, to, to, to see those contrasts in one family yeah. that, that are, you know, I'm trying to think of brother-sister combinations who've played well on the tour. I guess Ray and Marlene Floyd were one, but, I mean, Minji and um, I mean, we were clearly miles ahead of anyone now. Well, in our family, I've got to say, you you couldn't meet two two more different individuals yeah. as well. So. That's true. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring it up. I thought it was the I'm elephant in the room, Kaz. But I'm commonly referred to as the boring bugger, and uh, my sister yeah. Marty, who you all know, is is the life and soul of uh, of every party. And um, yeah, but I agree with you, Clates. I think Minji just is. She's very shy. Um, and and I couldn't I couldn't agree more. They're just so different. Minwoo's a, a lovely young fella. He's very easy to sit and have a chat with, and he's very engaging. And you know, as you said, no blight on on Minji. It's just her personality. Yeah. yeah, not not everybody wants to spotlight. Her game somewhat reflects that too, doesn't it, Karen? She is just so solid in every department. Minwoo has a very flashy game. Minji doesn't. She just doesn't seem to miss anything. It was extraordinarily good display of hers over the course of the week. Obviously, at one point she made four straight bogeys to fall to one over. Yep. And then for the next 40-something holes, went, what, 16, 17 under or something. Madness. And that shows her mental strength as well. You know, like I said, four, five holes into the second round, she was looking like she could miss the cut. At that yeah. point, the cut looked like it could be one over. Um, Minji sitting at one over had a terrible start and thinking, I've got all these other holes to play yet. And yet she came back, a couple of eagles, um, finished really well, as she did in, in the third round, and, and turned a week around. And, and she is very, very strong mentally. And in, in this game, you know, you have to be in... Um, she has been for a long time, you know, she was going to be the next great thing in Australian golf. And she has been. She's won six times on the LPGA before, I think, no, six times now, six, yeah. um, now including a major championship, you know, which is some people just aren't happy with that either. You know, it's just like she should have won. She should have won 20 by now, according to some people. But, you know, there's also pressures that, you know, players put on themselves and their coaches, their family. Uh, and as you said, then the media, you know, and it all builds up. And the longer you go without winning that major, and you can't imagine how poor Lee Westwood feels every week he tees it up, can you? <laughs> well, I think he feels well, a lot better when he goes and has a look at his bank account yeah, and re- yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. realises he's doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
in that department. Guys, here's something interesting. We see this sometimes with players, and it's a, it seems an odd phenom- phenomenon to me from the outside. A player has a breakthrough win like this. Now, given, except, except obviously Minji's a proven winner, five titles on the LPGA prior to, but we see some players, they have that first win or that first big win, and they just go on a tear. What's that about, and do you see that perhaps in Minji's future? She does feel to me a rung above most of the other players. on the, She's not had a great year this year, but she's been consistently a top 10 performer for the last two or three years. She's got a game that really is in that super elite level. What do you reckon? I, I only see Minji going forwards after this. I, I wouldn't put her in that bracket of one-hit wonders. And, and as you said, there's been a lot of them in the men's game and a lot of them in the women's mm-hmm. game, but I only see one one place for Minji, and that's going up now. I think that's this will have given her enormous boost in her confidence. This year, you know, it hasn't been a terrible year for her, but by her standards, it's it's been pretty ordinary. Uh, but, you know, she has shown some signs, obviously playing with Yuka Sasso a couple of weeks ago in the Dow. Um, I think they had a really good time there. It was great to see Minji re- really enjoying her golf. So, you know, perhaps that just turned around for her enabled her to relax a little bit more she had a pretty good partner by her side and and then she goes out this week and just plays some amazing golf relax might be the key clates you've played tour for long enough to know that the longer you don't play well the harder it is to start playing well again because it's a bit of a downward spiral isn't it karen might be right about that yeah well the you know the surest thing in pro golf is you you know, as 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 bad streaks go there's a good streak around the corner and the you know the closer you are to playing well and and when you're playing well the Every week is the closer you are to playing badly, so you, know, you can it, never be happy. It's, it's a roller coaster, of ups and downs. as we saw with Cameron Champ. I mean, I don't know what his year's been like, but he just seems to disappear for months on end. Then he jumps up and wins out of nowhere. So consistency, as we spoke about last week, consistency can be really overrated. Yeah, yeah, indeed. There's um, no, unless you're consistently Tiger Woods or maybe Jack Nicklaus, that's about as close as we've seen to consistency really paying yeah, off. Take your chances when you get them, which is. What Minji did this week and what Minwoo... I mean, Minwoo's had a dreadful year in terms of... I think he was 9 out of 11 missed cuts or something. But One win covers up an awful lot. Of, like yeah. one long putt at the end of a poor hole, it covers up an awful lot of nonsense beforehand, doesn't it? Yeah, you look at the mail list and see 1.7 million. Well, he's played well. <laughs> he's going all right. That's yeah. exactly right. He's made it all in one well. week. Australian women players, Karen, playing sneaky well around the place. Steph Kiriakou's first win in Europe. Grace Kim is doing... Extraordinary things in the mini tour professional game as an amateur over in the States. Sarah Kemp likes to be having a sort of a mid career resurgence. Minji winning. We know that Hannah and Minji will represent us at the Olympics. We saw this with the Thai players over the weekend. Suddenly, Paddy Tavatanikit wins the ANA Inspiration. It's not sudden, maybe it just looks sudden. Suddenly, there's all these Thai players lurking on the leaderboard. Similar things perhaps with Australia. What's the effect of that dragging along? And what's the effect on other Australians of Minji winning? I think Minji winning as as when Hannah won a couple of years ago. Um, hopefully, it's going to inspire you know gen- future generations of young girls. Um, I think probably it, it came at not a great time with the Olympics being on because I think probably it's been overshadowed by what's going on at the Olympics. But you know we need to encourage and inspire young women to take up golf and want to be the next Hannah Green and Minji Lee. And to have two major winners in the last couple of years is just you know fantastic. Um, yeah, it's great to see Kempi playing so well. We've all known and spoken many years how good a player she really is. Is. Um, and she's probably, and, and I know she'd probably agree that she's probably one of the biggest underachievers in, in women's golf. Um, but obviously this year she's, Campy's always going to be up and down with the way she plays. Um, you know, her, the three majors this year, she missed the cut in all three of them leading into this. So you didn't see a top 20 coming. Uh, but, but obviously she's shown form this year and it's great to see her playing well. And obviously this year she won't be battling to keep a card like she has most years. And, and hopefully she'll kick on from this as well. You've touched on something pretty important, Karen. 
the whole notion of can't see it, can't be it. Are you a subscriber to that theory? And whilst it's wonderful for Minji and her family in Australian golf and for her to win the trophy and a big check and all the accolades that come with it, there are bigger implications, aren't there, for from something like this? Talk to us a bit about what that might mean and we might not see the result of that for 20 years. Exactly. And, you know, I think in Australia we're in such a good place um, with regards to women's sport. You've got Ash Barty winning Wimbledon. You've got some fantastic role models, um, Sam Kerr in, our, uh, in the um, in the soccer team. You've got, you know, Elise Perry and some wonderful cricketers. I think I think first and foremost, from, from my point of view, we want to see more girls out there playing sport. If more girls play sport, there's more, more of a chance they're going to play golf at some point in their lives as well. So I think that there's such a variety of role models now for, for young women to watch. And I was just reading an, an article this morning about why parents should, should sit on the sofa with their kids and watch the Olympics because it's just it, it inspires them. You know, if, if, they, if they don't resonate with being a golfer, they might with archery or canoeing or, or something else. There might be something that they take out of that. And I think, you know, for our society and, and for Australia as a country, the more kids that play sport, the better this, this country is going to be. So, but I think in terms of, of, of young players, obviously um, we'd like Minji's win to get as much publicity as it could back here. And hopefully um, when she, her and Hannah teared up next week in the Olympics, that's probably when uh, we'll see, I guess, the knock-on effects from her win this week because obviously there's so much going on in the world of sport here and the Olympics is going to overshadow most things that are going on. So hopefully when they tee it up next week, we'll, we'll hear all about it. Yeah, the other reason to sit on the couch and watch the Olympics with your kids is because you're in lockdown. There's not much else to do apart from homeschooling anyway, so that's got to be, it's got to be better. And no pressure, Kaz. All she's got to do is win the gold medal at the Olympics, and that double will get all of the press that we want. How do we go beyond just the golf media? Everyone in golf media on golf Twitter is is is, is in a fantastic mood today with Minji's win, and we're all tweeting about it. How do we get beyond that? Yeah, well, you guys can probably, you know, find the answer to that, you know, better than I can, you know, with your experience in the media. Um, I think an event like the Olympics, that which is actually bigger than, than any sport, I think that's the way that, you know, if Minji or Hannah were to win a gold medal, then they really are... Um, they've they've reached, I guess, the dizzy heights that you want them to reach, and they will be recognised um, in Australia as as a gold medal winner way more than they would be for winning a major championship. And in terms of our sport, you know, the, in terms of the funding our sport gets, if one of them or one of the guys could could win a, a medal or you know, let's hope a gold medal, um, it'd mean so much to our sport. So you know, it, we'll we'll have everything crossed um, later this week and, and next week as well. Yeah, you'd think our chances with the women at the Olympics are pretty good. Let's move on to some other things, Karen, because obviously there's one tournament, one week, golf's much bigger than that. And in your role as the head of the WPGA, which I'm still getting used to, I much prefer it to the ALPG, but you, like me, no doubt fall into the habit plenty of times of reverting back to the ALPG. This is a sort of a, uh, a joint venture with PGA of Australia. How's that going? It's sometimes easy to say, and, and it's been, I think, maybe about a year now. Uh, yeah, sort of um, we, we rebranded in December last year and, and I know things are, are moving along really nicely. Um, obviously, we the TPS, uh, the Players Series events, are a part of what we're doing together and hopefully we'll be in a position to announce another one, one of those events in the next couple of months, which would be great. Um, you know, for us at a time when, you know, it's going to be difficult to have our major events in um, looking like they had done pre-COVID, um, any events we get for our players to play in are fantastic. Um, and just across the board, there's some exciting stuff 
stuff going on behind the scenes with ourselves and the PGA um, on a commercial front and on a number of other fronts. So it's only going to be beneficial for for us as a as a tour here, and I think for the PGA as well. But I think for golf um, in general in Australia, I think um, you know since since James Sutherland has come into the role at Golf Australia, there's been a a very um, a very good vibe in how. Um, the industry is working together. Obviously, there's this the whole of golf conference that was supposed to be happening has been um, has been put on ice again because of um, COVID, which is a real shame. But I think there's a, a, a really strong feeling of collaboration within golf in Australia. So um, I, I, for one, are feeling much more positive than at any other time um, in this role. In a funny way, Karen, whilst we'd all rather be playing tournament golf and have golf proceeding as it always has done in the past, being able to work away behind the scenes without the distraction of tournament golf, I imagine, must in some ways have been a little bit of a benefit, just in terms of collaboration, setting targets and deciding who you want to target and what sort of market and what the plan is and what the strategy is. There must have been some benefit to that in some way, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, normally, you know, a lot of my role is very operational, um, you know, around events and, you know, you have your season and then you have your post-event reporting and, and all the stuff you have to do after events and then it's, you know, managing your financials and just, you know, it's a very operational sort of jack-of-all-trades, if you like, um, role. So it's actually really good to have some time to be more strategic and, and do some more high-level work, um, you know, with our partners at, at the PGA. So, no, I think, I think you're probably right. I think, you know, in the long run, it'll probably be beneficial to us all. You need to learn to delegate to some of those 50-odd staff that you've got working for you, Karen. For those who <laughs> exactly. don't know, if you go to a WPGA event, you'll find Karen at the registration table from 6 o'clock <laughs> in the morning on tournament days helping the players get set up, and she'll still be there at 7.30 that night helping out with the cards. It is not a huge staff running the WPGA, that shop, but I hope that that uh, can start to change soon. been fabulous of you to take some time, Karen. We've really enjoyed it. Thanks for the... Uh Thanks for the effort there. Now, before we go, we touched, Clates, on the notion of Minji's win and the impact it might have on kids who might want to take up the game. If you or someone you know as a youngster that might be inspired by Minji, My Golf is Australia's national junior program to get kids into golf. It's the perfect beginner's pathway to learning the basics in a fun and safe environment. Term three programs are running now. Head to golf.org.au forward slash mygolf to find a program near you. Please note there are some... Uh, rolling COVID restrictions in certain states. You'd be a part of that, wouldn't you, guys, with the WPGA, the My Golf, and getting kids into golf? How did you get yeah. into golf? Um, I actually got into golf through school. We were really lucky where I grew up out at Cowra, central west New South Wales, that um, golf was actually a school sport. So, yeah, that's how I got into golf. We had a great uh, pro out there that was really helpful with the kids and, you know, spent as much time with us as we needed. So, yeah, just really fortunate. But but as you said, you know, if kids want to get into to golf, My Golf's the program. Um, and, you know, there's lots of opportunities there. It's a great program. It's the first really organised path into the game we've had, really, isn't it, Clates? This My Golf of the last few years. I think you started as a caddy, did you not? Mr. Caddy, and then Shell had a great series of schoolboy tournaments. So, um, but I mean, I caddied it, and, and the kids that, that were not much older than me, they were kind of, I was 12, they were 15 or 16, they were, they were great at embracing me and just having, you know, I started caddying for them and then playing with them, and they taught me. And so it's clubs are fantastic for introducing kids to golf, I think. Don't go anywhere. On the other side of this short break, we're heading to Tokyo, where all is in readiness for the golf to get underway. With Australian Golf Media, you're back Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Time now to talk the Olympics. Yes, Minji Lee isn't the only story going around in golf in Australia, although she is quite rightly dominating. The event's been underway the last couple of days there in Tokyo. Golf's time to shine, though, is just around the corner. The men's competition tees off 
this Thursday. Mark Leishman and Cam Smith have arrived in Tokyo to the great relief of all those on the ground, I'm sure, including Golf Australia High Performance Manager Brad James, who joins us on the blower now. Brad, there are no end of hoops to jump through just to get into Tokyo for these games. You must have breathed a huge sigh of relief when you laid eyes on Leishman Smith and their various caddies at the hotel. Yes, mate, it's a, it's a great point. We were sitting down last night just having a chat with Finchie, our team leader, and uh, Matt Cutler, and we get the little text, arrived on ground. Uh, and I can tell you, mate, there was a few fist punts going around. <laughs> it's like but, you already had a victory. There was. But look, anytime you get a chance to wear the green and gold, and since the boys have arrived, they've been so proud to put the green and gold colours on. Uh, and yeah, there are some safety protocols that, that, you know, that are, are difficult to go through. But at the end of the day, I think the boys have said it. We'll do anything to wear the green and gold. And, and I think we've all taken that approach, uh, regardless of how difficult it is. Uh, we're just happy to be here and, and, and looking forward to getting play going on Thursday. Indeed. Now, we'll come back to some of that Olympic stuff and some of the protocols. I'll get you to talk us through that. But before that, I must ask you, give you an opportunity to have a, a word about it. You must have been up in the early hours of Monday morning watching Minji claim that first major title. You've obviously been working with Minji pretty closely for a long time. What were your thoughts, just on a personal note, and also in terms of the high-performance program? Yeah, look, I remember look, um, listening to her interview, and it just looked like she just had this huge sense of relief mm-hmm. that she finally got it done. Um, you know, she's been so close on a couple of occasions there at the, the Open Championship. I think it was last year or the year before. Uh, got to world number two and hadn't won a major. Uh, and that's that's an accomplishment in itself to get to world number two without a major under under her name. Um, but now you put that, that major next to her name, it just verifies what she's been doing and her credentials over the last couple of years. Um, she's a world-class player. We all knew that. Uh, and only, it was only a matter of time. And I think her team around her was obviously relieved as well. But I got, I got a nice text from Richie Smith, her coach in WA. He said, I believed in it the whole time. It was just a matter of time. And it was ex- I think it was exactly what everyone else thought. I don't know if Minji thought that. Um, <laughs> but uh, look, I just saw that sense of relief in her eyes and a smile when she was doing the interview that she'd finally got the job done. Yeah. I think, I think I saw the same things, Brad. I would certainly uh, go along with that. Well, congrats to everybody who's had any part in the journey as you guys at Golf Australia have as well. Let's come back to the Olympics. And before we talk about the golf, give us a thumbnail sketch of the daily COVID routines that you're going through. They're pretty rigid, as I understand it. Yeah, look, they are rigid. Uh, we do daily testing every morning. Uh, we do a saliva test every morning. We sort of walk into the golf course they, with a security check as if you're going into the airport. Uh, sort of the same process, then you walk through up to the clubhouse and then you hand over your saliva test uh, and then they sort of give you the thumbs up um, and then you get a little accreditation to say that you've been tested for the day and then you're inside the gates basically, you're up in the clubhouse, uh, go get your your breakfast, lunch and then you head out to the practice fairway. Um, But look, it's just probably an extra 30 to 35 minutes on top of what you would normally do. Uh, But look, once you put on that green and gold, like I said before, it's worth every every second of it. Yeah, indeed. Saliva test. It sounds disgusting, and I'm sure it's as disgusting as it sounds. Clates, you're a player. How might all those rules, regulations, and things taking players out of their routine might impact the on-course performance? Oh, nothing. Really? Yeah, they'll be fine. Just deal with it. You're I mean... A- you know golfers. Golfers don't just deal with it. Surely nah. some some will be impacted more than others. Nah. No, you don't think so? Nah. Anyone who played golf in Asia and it's, Japan is not – Japan was part of the Asian tour when I played. There was one tournament in Japan. But anyway, played golf in Southeast Asia and knew that the first rule was there are no rules. And you just had to put up with 
all the idiosyncratic things that happened in Asia that didn't happen anywhere else. Um, and Japan's got, I mean, we would play in Japan and, and they would, there were times when they would only let you hit 30 balls before you played. And, you know, there are all these weird and wonderful rules up there. Just, just deal with it. So anyone who's played in Japan has learned to deal with things that weren't part of pro golf in Europe or America. Right. There you go. What do you reckon, Brad? Will there be some, because not everyone will have played in Asia or Japan, I'm sure. Brad, what do you reckon? Mate, I, I probably agree with Clays. We've chatted a few of the players out here and we chatted with the team leader from Canada this morning. And the message from the players to the team leader was, you know, we get so spoiled out on the PGA Tour. We get to an event like this. It feels somewhat like their old amateur days and they actually kind of enjoy it. Okay. Um, nice. So I don't see it impacting performance at all. And I think that's what you worry about when you're preparing all these uh, forms and understanding all the safety protocols but once you get down to it it doesn't impact performance they're they're kind of used to it in the way that they experienced it when they're amateur days when they're either traveling in europe or traveling in asia which you do as an amateur nowadays so they're somewhat somewhat used to it um but look the feedback from all the players has been yep protocols are difficult but how good are the olympics uh the players are hot the players they've got tvs all around the breakfast area the players are all hovered around the tvs watching weightlifting karate bmx and when someone from their country wins gold, silver, or bronze, you can hear the cheers go up just in the golf and the clubhouse. Uh, so the players are really embracing the Olympics, which, you know, I think at the start you worry if, you know, the sport actually belongs in the Olympics. But I think as we go along this journey, I think golf will, will find its place in the games and and, and, and we see see the, see the sport involved in the Olympics for, for a long, long period of time, hopefully forever. Yeah. One of those who definitely won't be bothered by any being out of their routine is Camp Smith. Now, we saw some photos a couple of days ago, Brad, with the letters AUS shaved into side of that horrific mullet that Cam's been sporting for the last couple of months. Was that Photoshop, or can you confirm that he has actually done that to his hair? Mate, he, I can confirm that he's done that to his hair. He Ooh, sent yeah. a text message straight away and said, do you guys have visors so I can show off my Oz when I'm playing out there? Uh, and we do do have visors. I've got a. There's actually a picture out there now. If you have a look on uh, the Golf Australia uh, webpage or uh, Twitter account, you'll see a picture of Cam now. He's got his golf. He's got his uh, Australian shirt on. He's got hand bands on, uh, wristbands that you would wear if you're playing tennis. Um, and he's got his uh, visor on. He's absolutely ready to tackle it. I think somebody somebody mentioned he was ready for the 1970s uh, Rebel cricket, or the, <laughs> the one-day pyjama <laughs> cricket, ready to go for that. Yes. That's all the off-course stuff, Brad, and all of that will be, no doubt, very much front of memory when you look back in 10, 15, 20 years to say you're at the Tokyo Games. But let's get to the golf clothes. I'm sure you've got some questions, in particular about the Kasuma Gaseki Country Club. I know you haven't played it, but you have played in Japan. Uh, what do you need to know from Brad so that we can make some decisions about what's going to unfold this week? Well, how hard is it set up? So I know that Japan Open is, they try and outdo the US Open in terms of setting the golf course up as difficult as they can. So is it gone down that path or is it a little friendlier than even par's going to win? Yeah, it's certainly a little friendlier than even par. I think I was talking to Finchie this morning. I said, mate, what are you thinking for score? And he thought somewhere around that 12 to 16 under um, you know, where you've got a golf course playing just under 7,500 yards long um, and a past 71. Um, the greens are probably running at about 11, uh, may get up to a 12. Greens are soft, um, so the pins are, are very undulating. And I think she even described a sort of a, a mini Augusta. You've got pine trees uh, surrounding all the fairways. The golf course, as you can imagine in Japan, 
absolutely perfect condition. Um, the rough's very manicured. It's not that long. It's probably at that three to four inches high. Um, the fairways are just absolutely pristine. So I, I, I'd probably I'd probably agree with Fincher. I think that 12 to 16 under is what the winning score will be, assuming that the weather conditions stay the same. It's pretty warm out there. Uh, we're going to, we're expecting a little bit of rain this week. Uh, we got a little bit this morning during the practice round. Getting a little windy out there. But look, I think uh, there's some the first couple of holes are pretty easy. Uh, I think you'll see some of the birdies in the, the first couple of holes, but as you get sort of, there's a stretch there, 9, 10, 11, 12, that is very difficult. And I think that's where you'll see sort of the, 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 the men from the boys get separated a little bit. So uh, for those who haven't played in Japan, it would be a huge surprise if there weren't at least two par threes over 230 yards. And <laughs> the odd hole with a tree in the middle of the fairway. Mate, uh, I know how much you love those trees in the middle of the fairway. If you were up here now, uh, Clayton, you were in Rio. I didn't see you cutting any trees down there because there weren't any trees on that golf course. Uh, there's a lot of trees here in um, in Japan, uh, and, and particularly Kasumi Gaseki, but uh, none in the middle of the fairway. There's a couple next to the green that sort of, that sort of hang over the green on some of the short holes. Okay. Um, but yeah, we, all the par fours are over 200 yards long. Um, Sorry, sorry, all the par threes are t- over 200 yards long. Yeah, it's always, we, we played at the Japanese, it was called the Japanese International Open at Ibaraki. 36-hole course, they had eight par threes and seven of them were over 200 yards. And it just, it always struck me as that they were, they kind of missed the point of, of a great short par three completely. Well, especially if you if you never see one, Brad. Would it be fair to say, looking at the pictures, and you're right, the course looks beyond immaculate in the photos that we're seeing come out of the place. Does this setup will this be a familiar look and feel and style of play for those who play, particularly the PGA Tour, which puts both Mark and Cam in the mix? You would think, and also a few of the other names that we would expect among the Americans and some of those other players who play all their time in the US. Yeah, look, I think I. I look at how Cam's performed at Augusta the last couple of years. I think the golf course sets up very well for him. Um, you've got very fast undulating greens. Your short game has to be very good. And Cam's strength is certainly his short game uh, and his ability to get up and down around the greens. And you need that around here because of the size and the amount of undulations on the greens. So, look, I think the Americans, uh, like the PGA Tour players, certainly have an advantage out here. Uh, the guys who have played those type of golf courses the Augusta, uh, even sort of like a TPC golf course where the greens are sort of undulating, a little bit smaller at the TPC Sawgrass, um, but still very undulating and fast. Um, so I think that's certainly an advantage here. It's a very different sort of golf tournament, Brad, and a very different sort of vibe, isn't it? The spread between top and bottom in this field is far greater than most of the players would see in their weekly travels of the world playing professional golf. Is there a different vibe about the tournament and the interaction between the players and whatnot themselves, or is it business as usual, we're all trying to win? Yeah, great question, right? I think it's very much business as usual. Uh, they know what's on the line. They want to win that medal. Um, you know, realistically, I probably think you've got 15 to 20 guys that can win, uh, and that's one of the strengths and weaknesses of the Olympic format where you don't necessarily have the best players in the field um, or the best players in the field. But uh, I, I know watching out yesterday uh, during the practice rounds and coming out this morning, 
uh, on the putting green. The, the guys are grinding out there. Uh, they're spending hours on the putting green before and afterwards. They're on the practice range. The coaches are out here. So it very much feels like a normal tour event, and the, and, the, and the guys sense that as well when they're out here. Probably helps that they're locked in as well, Brad. They can't go sightseeing if they wanted to. Clates, I think you had something to ask there. Yeah, there was a great article by Daniel Rappaport, who writes for Golf Digest this morning, Brad, about the pressure on the two Koreans to win a medal and avoid busting their career by having to spend two years in the Army. So Cam or Leash come to the last hole with two putts to win the bronze medal or three putt to tie with Sung Jae-im, three putt and um, ease his way out of two years in the Army and destroy his career. Horrible moral decision, Brad. Have you talked about this scenario in the team room yet? Mate, the only scenario that's come up in the team room, Cameron Smith's caddy is from New Zealand. And Cameron Smith said, mate, if we're paired with Ryan Fox coming down the last and we're all all tied, are you going to give me the right yardage so I use the right club coming in? Because will we want Cameron Smith to win or we want Ryan Fox to win uh, the other Kiwi? But no, we we actually did, we walked a couple of holes with KJ Choi yesterday in the Korean team. and, and KJ is a very intense man, um, and I could tell we were coming after the practice round, uh, and he sat the players down. He was sort of going through some things. We obviously couldn't understand it was in Korean, but I know Finchie and I were taking notice. Um, that those guys are intense this week. Uh, they've got a clear intent of what they want to accomplish out there, and they've got a lot on the line. Um, it's a very different um, level than what we experience. Serious high-stakes stuff, isn't it? Two years in the military or not, depending on where you finish in the top three of the tournament. Talk a little bit about leadership brad of course team events are unusual golfers don't get to do this very often uh i think ian baker finch is probably the best australian for the job but he did a fabulous job i thought in 2016 and i'm sure clates would confirm that he's the right personality the right mix what sorts of things he of course can't help mark or can't play any better they know what they're doing on the golf course what sorts of things is he doing away from the course to make it as easy as possible for them to perform their best yeah, look, it's funny because the two guys are so easy going, Cam Smith and Mark Leishman. They're so easy going, and you know we've created a little bit of a uh, an environment. It's a, it, we've got a spare room at the hotel, and we've set the hotel the hotel room up as an Australian room. We've got pictures of Aussies. We've got Tim Tams in there. Uh, we've got a, a couple of um, beverages in there that the boys like after the round. Um, we've got the live coverage of Seven Sport on there. We've got AFL Live app. We've got the NRL Live app up there. Uh, so we want to create an environment where the boys just love to talk Aussie. They love the banter. Um, they love sort of giving each other a little bit of banter and running with it. And they said they missed that. Uh, we were in there last night when they arrived. And they said they just missed this, just hanging out with a bunch of Aussies who are on the same wavelength. And that's the environment Finchie wants, wants to create. Uh, he wants to create that real Aussie, Aussie stage. Um, and, and Finchie does that the best. And like you said, he does it better than no other. Last thing for me, Brad, of course, Cam and Mark played the World Cup together a couple of years ago down here in Australia. How much, I imagine that event must have some impact. It's not a team event this week, but two personalities that obviously work together. They played the Zurich event together and won it earlier this year. That all seems to bode well, I would think. It does. Uh, they're very close. Uh, you get that sense when you're on the practice fairway with those boys, when you're in the van driving over to the golf course, when you're at breakfast. They're doing, they're doing everything together. Um, they want to know what each other's wearing. Uh, they want to know what each other's looking like. They're in this together and they want each other to win, uh, whether it be gold, silver or bronze. 
uh, the Sterling in this together, and it's, it's fun to be a part of. Yeah, fabulous to hear. It would be great to be a fly on the wall. Let's talk Cam Smith if that Ryan Fox scenario does unfold. Simply get Ryan's yardage, add 50 yards to it, and that's going to be yours because Ryan Fox hits it longer than anybody I've ever seen in person. He is... An animal. Brad, exciting time of the week, no doubt. We all can't wait for the gun to go off, but enjoy these moments as well, as I'm sure you are in the lead-up. Everyone, something worth soaking up. It's been great of you to take some time today, and hopefully we catch up again with you soon. Best of luck from all of us here in Australia to everybody on the team over there. Appreciate the time, guys. Thank you. Don't go away. We'll be back on the other side of the break with a bit of a wrap-up of Australians and golf from around the world. With Australian Golf Media, you're back inside the ropes. Yes, plenty to look forward to this coming two weeks with the golf in Tokyo. And, of course, we wish the Australians all the best. It's a pretty big deal, Clades, isn't it? Uh, off to the I suppose most of us, certainly in my demographic, grew up with golf not being a consideration in the Olympics. So we probably have a certain view of it that might be changing as the generations grow up with it in there. But you've actually been to the games. What was it like? This, this point of the tournament, you're a few days out and all that sort of stuff. The buzz must be interesting. Yeah, I was kind of a golf in the Olympic cynic because it's never going to be the pinnacle of the sport which is something that everyone says but uh, the tournaments were great the course was fantastic Gil Hans did a brilliant course in Rio so that added to it uh, and watching the Suo and I went out to watch the last nine of the men's tournament and gave up because the crowds were too big couldn't see wow. anything wow so it was a great buzz there was watching Rose and Stenson on that back nine was mm. to watch two proper quality players hit the ball really well. I mean, Marcus Fraser is a good friend of mine, but he'd be the first to admit that he was out of his depth <laughs> playing with those two guys the last day. I mean, Fraser's a nice player, but those two guys were probably two of the best players in the world at the time, and it was great to watch them play. Yeah. And the women's event was um, – I kind of assumed that once you didn't have a chance to win a medal, what was the point? But – I know that everyone we were out, Sue finished 13th after a bad finish, but, I mean, she was grinding all the way to the end. To, you know, she'd rather would have finished 13th and 15th. So I think, you know, the Olympics focuses a lot on first, second and third, but certainly in golf, I didn't see anyone not trying once they knew they couldn't win a medal. Yeah, completely different to any tournament you've ever been to before, I imagine. Everything about it different. The stakes that you're playing for, the way that the prizes get handed out, the national... Uh, representation is completely different, I would imagine, to anything that you'd ever experience. Well, it's different, certainly from the women's game. It's different because there are a lot of the best players in the world who aren't there. I mean, So Young, he wasn't there. Mm. She was number one player in the world a year later. Yeah. And she's not there again this year, but she's clearly one of the best players in the world. So it's an odd field in the sense that, in that sense, that, the best players. And in the same field, you've got players who normally would never get to tee it up in a field with. Can't break an egg, yeah. LPJ, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I think if we treat it for what it is, I'm less cynical than I was. I still think there's issues with the format and all those sorts of things. And there's uh, all sorts of discussions around the purpose of golf in the Olympics. But I'm much less cynical, I think. And partly because of Sue, who once told me that for her, golf's always been a goal in the Olympic Games. Because she was at an age where it was realistic as she practiced on the putting green to putt for a gold medal. And I think there's something in that generational difference. Yeah, and it was – I mean, when she, her family came to Australia, she was seven or eight years old and didn't play golf. And when they landed at Tullamarine Airport, it would have been unimaginable to her parents that one day she would play for Australia in the Olympic Games. It was just beyond Olympian. comprehension that 
that would be possible. So for someone like that, it's a very cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. For you, Clay, you've got the tracksuit, haven't you? You've got the Australian tracksuit. That's, wearing um, it, I'm wearing it as we speak, right? <laughs> With pride. Fantastic. Well, that's all coming up in the future. And as I said, we wish the Australians all the best. It'll be interesting to watch it unfold. But before, well, not before, instead of talking about that, I want to go back a bit, Clay, to have a look at some results from around the world. Uh, and just get a general sort of a feel for the state of the game and how Australians are performing on the world's professional tours before we come to the pros, though. Have you met Sue Wooster down there in Melbourne, Clint? I have. We um, uh, When Tom Doak opened the Gunnamatta course at the National, whenever that was, she Sue and Tom and I and Lucas played the first hole, okay. the opening hole. And, and I think, I can't remember how many holes we did play, but certainly more than one, but... She got on the, on the 16th, which was the first hole we played, and ripped a beautiful hybrid onto the middle of the green, which was more than the three of us did. Yes. Well, she is an extraordinary, uh, if you're not familiar with Sue's story, she's extraordinary. Took up the game later in life into her 20s. Didn't really get competitive until uh, sometime after that. Played for the interstate, for the Victorian team in the Interstate Series for the first time, Clates, at the age of 48. Imagine debuting in an interstate team at the age of 48 in this modern era when all of her teammates added together might not have added up to 48. She plays off, well, the last time I spoke to her, she was off about plus two. She's played in the U.S. Senior Women's Amateur the last couple of years, finished runner-up. Uh, so that earns her a spot in, the, spot in the U.S. Senior Women's Open, which starts this week, and we'll watch that with interest because she's in the field again. But she won the Colorado State Golf Association Women's Senior Match Play as a tune-up last week, Clayson. So she continues to impress enormously so the best of luck to sue worcester and if you uh, if you haven't if you don't know anything about sue go and look her up she's quite uh, quite extraordinary it's just amazing to maintain a handicap of that level at that stage in life don't you reckon because it takes commitment to do that you don't yeah, just you, faff yeah, you, it about yeah you've, you've got to try and keep trying yeah. and you've got to work at it yeah yeah otherwise absolutely. you just get worse brooklawn country club they're playing that u.s senior women's open clothes what do you know about that uh, they played the U.S. Women's Open there in 1978. Tom Doak gave it a five on his scale out of ten. So five is doesn't sound great, but five's when you consider that in that wonderful book, The Confidential Guide to Golf Courses, three is an average course in the world. So five's above average and not too bad. Probably a, probably a perfect venue for the senior U.S. Women's Open, which in yeah. fact is a fabulous event. It only started a couple of years ago. And it's been a terrific spectacle every year that they've played it. So let's hope that uh, it I is see, again. I see um, Annika Sorensen's playing. So I assume she's, well, obviously she's 50. Well, if she's not, something's gone very badly wrong because yeah. it's a, it's an over-50s event. Well, that'll attract plenty of attention, which is good for the event too. I think Laura Davies might have won the first one. They played at Charleston Country Club and then they played another one. Down near Pinehurst, which was fabulous. So best of oh, luck to Sue Worcester. I think Joanne, Joanne Carner is still playing, who is she broke, broke 70, her age 79 or 80. I think so. She broke her age last time. It's still on the Gaspers. Yeah. Was, <laughs> it's just staggering. I saw uh, – I remember I caddied in the Colgate tournament of Victoria in 1975 for a French-Canadian, Jocelyn Barassa, who played a practice round with Joanne Carner when she was the best player in the world. And she could really play. She was big and strong, and she smashed it. Terrific personality too. Wonderful person. I, I met her once out at Concord. They played a senior women's event there, and she would have been well into her 60s then. I'll never forget it. She had this beautiful little buttercup nine-iron into one of the par threes. It's just the sort of golf shot that maybe only a handful of people in the world have ever been able to play, and she just ripped it off and out with a gasper and strode down, <laughs> strode down the fairway to miss the putt. It was a uh, wonderful we, watch. We played that tournament. Well, the men played. They did. Wayne Grady won it. 
might have been the only time in the history of golf that the women have played for more money than the men. That's true. Yes, they did indeed. Uh, all right, let's have a look at some professional golf around the place. Now, the PGA Tour, uh, Clates, uh, just to put people in the picture, Cameron Davis, our best at the 3M Championship. He was tied for 28th. Cam Percy and Aaron Baddeley, the other two, to make the cut. Uh, none really troubled for the lead. Cameron Champ, the winner. Intriguing guy. I remember writing a column a couple of years ago, Clates. Buckle up. This kid hits it unfeasible distances and he'll be joining the PGA Tour soon. He hasn't really made a big splash, but I'm just going to run you through his results this year. 17 starts, 9 missed cuts, 1 WD, previous best finish for the year tied 11th, the week before he won this week. What does that tell us about, if anything, the modern game and the modern player? That is a model of inconsistency, and yet he's now had a great year because he's won. Mm -hmm. You wonder how someone who's the ball that far ever shoots over 67, which is what Tiger Woods did. But that was why Tiger was so great because not only did he hit the ball forever, he actually went out and shot the scores that you should shoot when you hit the ball that far. So uh, I've never seen – well, I have seen Cameron Champagne. He played at Royal Sydney, I think, didn't he? he played, certainly he played, played at, at the PGA at Royal Pines one year. I think he teed up in Royal Sydney the same year, yes. Either way, he's clearly someone who – wins when he putts and wedges it well. But hitting the ball that far and being as good as he clearly is because he's won three times, you ought to play better than he does from week to week. Is it a reflection on the competition or on him, do you think? I don't know. Is it just so deep? So so it's hard to tell. Yeah. I mean, Cameron Davis, who was 28th with a – he finished with a nine on Saturday, which didn't help. I think if he'd made power, he would have finished sixth. So. I know 10 markers who'd be headless if they made a nine, Clates. I can't imagine what it must be like to be Cameron Davis and make a nine. I think he went out the next day and made no <laughs> bogeys. made like seven, seven birdies and no bogeys. But Never known a 10 marker to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so who knows what Cameron Champ's deal is. But clearly, Dustin Johnson figured out that if he got his wedges in order, because that's all he had left into most of the holes he played, he was going to turn into the best player in the world, or one of them. So if you were Cameron Champ, you'd assume that, okay, let's figure out this stuff from 120 yards in yeah, and certainly. get the ball in play off the tee. Yeah, well, there you go. As you said, third win, and uh, good luck to him. And going along very nicely, thank you very much, uh, in the financial states. Let's go to the second return. I wanted to talk about this, particularly about scoring, so I guess it's probably kind of related. He could have shot 19 under at the Corn Ferry Tour this week, Clates. 19 under for the four days. It's almost an average of five under per day, you know, four consecutive 67s. You wouldn't have been in the top 10. What does that tell us about, if anything, about golf, the quality of the players, the quality of the courses? What's that tell us? And 27 think, under was the winning score, by the way. And I think 14 under wasn't in the top 50. <laughs> what does that tell you? Well, again, we haven't seen Cameron Champ play and we haven't seen the golf course, but... My assumption is the course is soft, no wind, uh, defenceless in the face of guys who hit the ball as far or longer than the guys on the PGA Tour, and probably a waste of space for professional golf. Good for the game? People want to see birdies, they say. Do people want to see players shoot 27 under? Well, people want to see birdies, and then they play the US Open, and everyone says, we want to see guys hacking it out of the rough and making bogeys all day and struggling. So I always just want to see good golf on good architecture. Uh And we've never seen the course, but if 14 under is not good enough to finish in the – so even 69 is pretty much <laughs> not good enough to finish in the top 50. It tells you the course is, is not asking too many interesting or difficult questions. Yeah. 
It also and there's no wind, yeah. no wind, and it's soft, and it's. I mean, does, does, is this why we get bored of golf on uninteresting golf courses in conditions that aren't testing anyone on greens that are like puddings? I mean, America's got a terrible climate for golf. It's too, you know, it's half half the country is freezing under snow. It's, um, it's hot, humid. They, they need to water the courses to keep them alive, so they get soft and pudgy and. It's just not particularly interesting golf to watch. It really encourages an aerial uh, golf game, doesn't it? Which is a- which, it, which isn't to say America doesn't have a preponderance of no. great golf courses. You just don't see them on the tour. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, indeed. And for all those recreational golfers out there wondering how touring professionals would go around your home club, there's an indication right there. <laughs> I remember watching the New South Wales Open out at Stonecutters Ridge uh, in Blacktown here in Sydney, which I'd played a couple of times. Absolutely flabbergasted by the scoring. It's a completely different game. It, it, you can't relate in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, uh, Brett Jewett, the best of the Australians there. Seventeen under. Where do you reckon he finished? Lights at seventeen under for four days. Top, top thirty, I assume. Tied nineteenth. Jamie Arnold had a, a shocking last round. He had five over in the last round to finish nine under and finished in front of about four people in sixty seventh. So tough school. If you're considering a career in professional golf, stay in school. Well. Stay away from the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, Europe's a much better path to go down. And I think Minwoo Lee finished up in Europe by accident. Mm-hmm. And you know, he won more at the Scottish Open than they – his prize at the Scottish Open was double what the purse was last week, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah. So but It doesn't get him on the PGA Tour. So the carrot for the Corn Ferry Tour is that you get to the PGA Tour if you're in that top 25. That's the whole point of it is to try and get to the big show. It is. But if you're good enough, if you're a foreigner – in terms of as in foreigner, as in a non-American. If you're good enough to have a great career on the PGA Tour, you're good enough to make the top 50 in the world by playing in Europe. Mm-hmm. And that's what men was going to do, I would think. Or is he now so 60, shift, shift back to that, Clay. That was always the in, in your ear, if I could put it that way, the thinking always from Australia, wasn't it, that you go to Europe first and you sort of cut your teeth and then you might try the PGA Tour later on. That was always the thinking previously, wasn't it? Adam Scott went that route as late as 2000. Well, it's very much guys go straight to America from Australia now, don't they? Almost every non-foreigner went that route. Nick Price went that route. Mm. Greg Norman went that route. Um, obviously, all those Europeans who Faldo and Seve and those guys—they all gravitated to Europe from America. But there are a lot of Australians who just see America as the only pathway to the PGA Tour, and it's—it's it's not. I mean, not many of our guys have been that successful. Off the corn ferry tour, Appleby yeah. was, Leishman was, but yeah. it's a fairly short. Yeah, isn't it? yeah, there've been a lot of guys who've got stuck on that tour and never got out of it. Real churn and a real grind, and it could really beat you down too. There's not really enough money to play for in a legitimate way to make a, <laughs> a living and a career out of. There's too much to kind of leave it and go somewhere else. So. Uh, all the stuff that we don't see about professional golf clays. Nothing to do with, you know, swing planes and putting strokes, is it? But these are all the important decisions about professional golf ultimately that determine careers, where you play, what your schedule is, uh, where you want to end up, what, how you go in the world rankings, all these things. Well, the biggest decision is that whether you turn pro or, or not. Hmm. And yeah, I've often quoted this, uh, the fact that it's me is a pure coincidence, but... When I won the Australian Amateur in 1978, before me, so in 75 years, there'd been six guys who turned pro, Devlin, Jim Ferrier, Ted Ball, Bill Britton, Terry Gale and Bob Shearer. After I won it, every one of us turned pro. Yeah. 
to return. So it well. went from being a big decision to being no decision at all. Yeah. And it's unless you're really good at golf, really good. It's a there's a lot to be said for a, a career as a career amateur yes. in golf. Yeah. Now, Tony Gresham, Kevin Hartley, guys who had jobs, who had families, who lived in their own bed, who played amateur golf at a really high level and loved it and played hard and tough, but but who never had the grind of you know living the way we did. Which and I, mean, I, and I would never swap it. I loved it, but it was a it was a. Yeah, it was a postgraduate degree in golf course architecture for me. And, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, I was lucky enough to, you know, for to lead on to a, to a, to another career which was as exciting and as productive and as much fun to do. But for a lot of guys, it's a it's a it's not the you know it's not a great life and it's not a great decision to make. To you know, they see the riches and the fame and they jump in, but not many of them last more than three or four years before they're out of it. It chews people up and spits them out. As well. There are horror stories of people for whom golf has just been a particularly unpleasant life experience by the time it's all and, said and done. You know, in a sense, the sad thing is that they don't – most of them give up golf. That's right. Golf they don't play anymore. Yeah. Where, you know, they finish up hating it or just mm. – well, perhaps they never loved it in the first place. They were just good at it and it was a way to make a living. And they found they couldn't make a living in it, so they just quit. But, you know, for, for me, golf was – I always loved playing golf. Even if I hadn't been a pro, I still would have played golf because I loved to play. Well, we know how much golf you still play to this day. (laughs) That is saying something, having done done 20-odd years on the European Tour at the same time. Speaking of the European Tour, Wade Ormsby, our best there. Uh, Nacho Alvira winning in the playoff over Justin Harding, minus 16 in the scores. Wade Ormsby, minus 8, tied 14th. Bryden McPherson is one I'm interested in. Clates, I think you yeah. might have played the last round with him at the New South Wales event at Concord with Elvis Smile. He was the group behind us, yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> he was going very well after the first round. He did fade. He finished tied 47th at minus one. Uh, he's a guy who is, we've maybe just discussed without naming him. There's not many places in the world he hasn't played and still at it. Why well, he quit. You know, he got married, grounded out on that Corn Ferry tour for... And, and he would tell you this, you know, grounded out in that Corn Ferry tour for years. He went to school with Harris English and a few of those other guys from Georgia who've had great – Russell Henley, I think, yep. who've had great success on the tour. He didn't have much success and came home to, to teach, really. But you know, I've played with him a bit and watched him play, and he's completely revitalised his game. Unorthodox, too. He's gone with six degrees flat clubs. Yeah, and, six, yeah, and, and Brad Hughes has helped him a lot with yeah. his game, and he's – you know, I, I suspect he still harbours pretty strong ambitions to be a player, which is why he's over there playing. On the 2011 British Amateur, you don't yeah. fluke that. Uh, uh, yeah, the except, Masters and... yeah, it's, uh, it's like the Singapore Open, British Amateur. Oh, it's a kiss of death, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you yeah, want to finish second or third, don't ever want to win it? Yeah, as Peter Thompson said, I had to three-putt the 17th hole myself <laughs> to make sure I didn't win that tournament once. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and... Bryden's probably playing better golf now than he's ever yes. played. Yeah. But but if he wants to play, he's really starting his career again at 31. And there's no reason why he can't be a tremendous player. Yeah. He, Which, he's just got to get a foothold on that European tour. And yeah. You know, motivation's not a problem. He's fit. He's strong. He still works very hard on his game. He's completely rebuilt his game with... Brad Hughes, as you said, which is, yeah. can be very dangerous. It's been the end of a lot of players. It takes an enormous commitment to do that and a hell of a work ethic. So we wish. Well, I think this- it gets the. I think it gets the point with him 
which is a good, nice point to be at where it doesn't matter if you screw it up. Yeah. Because you're done anyway. So what have you got to lose? Nothing to lose. You know, and when Faldo changed his game in, when he, in 1983 when he was 25 or 6, he had a lot to lose. You know, because he was, he was the, he won five times in Europe in 1983. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was one of the best players on the tour and he chucked it all out. And if it hadn't worked, he was, you know, people were just, what the hell were you doing? So it was a big risk for him. But Bryden was going nowhere with the action he had. It wasn't like he'd won five times on the European Tour and, th- and threatened to win the British Open a few times. Did you say British Open? We're not start- We're not opening that can of words. Because people in Australia, it's the British Open. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Huggy. Uh, dear. Challenge to a Blake Windred, our best. He's going quite nicely. Uh, tied 44th. He's 32nd on the money list, which is the important thing. You're top 15, you get a card to Europe. Now, it's not of as much value as a car by the Q School, if I recall. There's a whole bunch of different levels on there. Yeah, but it is. Yeah. It is a ticket to Europe, and Blake is over there earning his way closer. Somebody said for that, he's earning his way. Um, playing the challenge, sure, there's no money in that. That's a that's yeah. a losing financial proposition. That's a very big commitment to make, and uh, he's been he's had some good results this year. So best of luck to Blake. Nice young bloke from here. The last one I wanted to ask you about Sunningdale. Uh, the European the Senior British Open was played at Sunningdale. Stephen Dodd, the winner. I imagine you would know him. These are all your old mates running around, weren't they? Peter Fowler was the best of the Australians at tied twenty eighth, one over the card. Robert Allenby debuted in the over fifties. Opened with a sixty seven. Looked like he was going to be one of those players. Turns fifty, wins everything. Struggled the rest of the way. Finished at uh, tied sixty fourth eventually. But what a venue. Sunningdale. Sunningdale, for those who haven't been to Sunningdale, it's Royal Melbourne is their Sunningdale, or Sunningdale's our Royal Melbourne, or however you want to put it, but very similar places, two great 36 old courses. If you go to Sunningdale and you don't play the new course, you're missing out on another fantastic golf course. When they say new, it's like 1906. But it's a, it's a brilliant place to play golf. Yeah, beautiful. You know, the, the Heathland Golf in London is. It's like the sand belt, only more, more of it, and it's <laughs> yeah. better. Yeah. Although they don't have a course as good as Royal Melbourne, but the next ten courses on the Heathlands are as good as Kingston Heath and Victoria, and the you know the very best of the sand belt. Golfing heaven, golfing heaven, absolutely. Uh, there you go. So something. So that's a wrap of the Australian results over the course of the week. Uh, now, just before we go, Clay, it's a bit of housekeeping. Get into golf. This is the Golf Australia program. Perfect way to fast track adult beginners on course. Most programs five weeks long. They teach you the basics of golf in a fun and social environment. There's four streams of get into golf, including specific programs for women, seniors, and all abilities. Head to golf.org.au forward slash get into golf for more information and to find the program near you. There are some rolling COVID restrictions in certain states. We're probably preaching to the converted with that, Clates. Most people listening to this will already be golfers. Everybody who plays the game should introduce somebody who doesn't play the game, shouldn't they? It's all it's our responsibility as a golfer, and this is a fabulous program to do that. Yep, it is. Yeah. So, how, many you, how many have you brought to the game over the years, do you reckon? A few. A mate of mine who finished up being the captain at Kingston Heath, he came down from Brisbane to the school I was going to. He caught the same bus up to, to – uh, his, his place was on the other side of the Eastern Golf Course from mine. And we started talking. I said, oh, I play golf. He said, oh, my dad plays golf. There are some clubs. I said, well, grab the clubs, walk down the hill, jump the fence by the sixth green. I'll meet you on the eighth <laughs> tee. So he, that was where he started playing golf and he finished up as a captain at Kingston. In fact, he put, 
He put the yellow jacket on Tiger Woods when he won the Masters in 2009. There you go. Uh, just days before Tiger Woods' world almost came to an end. Days before Tiger Woods' <laughs> world imploded. Yeah. Imploded, that's exactly right. Well, there you go. It really is the gift you can give for life. And it really is incumbent upon all of us. Uh, at some point, make a commitment. This year, introduce somebody you know who doesn't play golf introduce them to golf and this one of these get into golf programs is perfect for that clade's been fabulous to talk to you looking forward to chatting to you already again next week when we'll know who has won the gold silver and bronze at the olympic golf but fabulous to catch up today thanks rod inside the ropes episode 217 done and dusted looking forward to your company already for episode 218 next week